Hi everybody, this is Cheryl Richardson and I'm here for our weekly Facebook Live. On this very cold and snowy day, we're having our another, well, a blizzard this time. It was a nor'easter the past couple of weeks and this time they're calling it a blizzard, so it's pretty, um, it's pretty snowy out there. Can't really see very much out, out of the windows, which is quite amazing. I'm going to show you what it looks like. Watch. This is what my this is what the window looks like right in front of me. Let's see if you can see that. See that? <laughs> That's pretty much it. That's my the outside. <laughs> All snow. But the snow is pretty on the windows. So we have about a foot of snow here. We're in winter and hello Helena from Sydney, Australia. You're in summer, heading towards fall, right? And hi, Kath and Natalie and Maribel, welcome. Um, nice to see you all here. Um, yeah, so we're uh, about to get spring. Hi, Elena. El Elena, yes, hi, welcome. Um, we had a very kind of easy February. It was a little mild and didn't have a ton of snow. And so we all thought, oh, we're going to luck out, and this is what we do every year. Oh, we're going to luck out, and spring's going to be here before you know it, and we're not going to get, it's not going to be that bad, but I've learned that come March, you just expect, like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> just expect some snow, and we've had it. So, yes, I do have power, Adrian. Um, um, you're out of it in southern Rhode Island. Yeah, I'm, you know, knock on wood, I've... We're blessed to still have power. We were without power for two and a half days last week, so um, we have it now. Welcome, Sharon and Brendan and Marcy and Carol. Um, <laughs> Carol says, as long as you have wine and power. <laughs> there you go. Always have to have that. Hi, Mark. And what, Tilla and Lisa, welcome. Glad to have you all here. Um, hi from almost spring-like Scotland. Oh, I love Scotland. Edinburgh is such a favorite place of mine. Uh, no, N Mary, don't say that to me. Mary's saying there's another nor'easter next week. No, 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 no. <laughs> don't even tell me that. Please don't tell me that. Oh, no. Anyway, um, I wanted to start tonight's Facebook Live with, um, I'm going to read an excerpt from Waking Up in Winter. And, um, uh, I, when I came in and sat down preparing for tonight, um, I picked up the book and I thought I'm just going to open to any section and just see what what happens, um, you know, see what page I turn to. And I turned to <laughs> I turned to an entry where I was pretty much fed up with snow, so um, I thought it was a bit, um, well, it was a bit serendipitous. serendipitous so I'm going to read this entry to you. And then we will um, go from there to having a conversation and also answering your questions and um, offering you some support, if I may. But let me start by reading. Let's see. Yeah, I need my glasses. I'm like right on the verge. Okay. So this entry was from January 5th. Um, and thank you. Thanks, Sharon. And thank you, Mary Kay. It says, we've had a lot of snow this week, I could say this month had a lot of snow this week, more than 18 inches, and it's been bone cold. This morning I woke up feeling like a caged animal. I stalked through the house from window to window, staring at the massive snow drifts in the backyard, and all I could think was, I need freedom, warmth, and green. How many more weeks of this must we endure? I made a cup of tea, then went to inspect the backyard further for traces of animals. 
Yesterday there were tracks all over the field and in and around my garden, so I knew the deer were looking for food. I decided to shovel off, I, des I decided to help out by shoveling off a large patch of snow, exposing the grass underneath. After all that work, I was eager to see if the deer had come by to eat. Unfortunately, I didn't find any new tracks. Staring out over the fields for a while inspired me to go for a walk around the neighborhood. For the first three miles or so, I saw deer tracks everywhere and was lucky enough to see a few cardinals and a couple of red squirrels, too. Bright spots in a desolate landscape. When I circled the reservoir, however, I discovered something upsetting. This is part of the topic that I want to um, address tonight before we get to your questions. A doe must have wandered out into the frozen lake overnight, slipped on the ice, and ended up as dinner for the coyotes sometimes that I sometimes hear howling at night. While I know all animals need to eat, it broke my heart to find the ravaged carcass of one of my deer out on the ice. Uh, this is January 5th. I stood at the water's edge in tears and began to silently pray for her sweet soul. There are not many things that can send me over the edge, but the suffering of an animal will do it every time. I probably inherited this sensitive gene from my mother, who has always been, had an uncanny connection to animals. As a young girl, I marveled at her ability to communicate with our cats and dogs in an unspoken language that had them following her everywhere. She rarely issued commands. She didn't have to. Instead, she talked to our family pets as if they were humans, and they responded like loyal friends. Sometimes it's tough being a person who feels things deeply. It's both a blessing and a curse. On the one hand, it's been useful in my work as a coach and teacher. Being perceptive and empathetic often lets me know what's really going on for people when they're struggling. I can hear and feel the truth beneath their words. But this sensitivity also causes me a lot of pain. And for some reason, this is the most true when it comes to animals. The moment I saw the dead deer, I tried to ward off the sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach with strong self-talk. Pull it together, Cheryl, I told myself. You have to stop being so concerned about all the animals in the neighborhood. Other people don't get this upset. Face it, death is just a part of life. That's when I saw her. Off in the distance, gradually making her way toward me, was a woman dressed in a long brown coat and a hood that nearly covered her face. She carried a crumpled bag, a crumpled bag, and periodically she'd stop, reach into the bag, and pull out a handful of what appeared to be birdseed. I watched it scatter on top of the frozen landscape as she tossed the food across the snow-covered field. When she reached me, she smiled, nodded hello, and continued on her way. As I walked home, I marveled at the mysterious woman who appeared out of nowhere. Although a stranger, I felt oddly comforted by her. It turns out that my tender heart has company, I thought. I'm not the only one concerned about wildlife in our neighborhood. I clear patches of grass, she spreads food. Speaking of food, as I sit here finishing this entry, I look up from my laptop and can't believe what I see. As a young doe is approaching the patch of grass I cleared yesterday, her dark gray coat in sharp contrast against the fresh white snow. She looks thin but healthy as as she slowly bends her head to pull out a pull at a, clump, a as she slowly bends her head to pull at a, cl a clump of grass. I stand and walk to the window. I love her gentle face and the fluffy white underside of her tail. Seeing her makes me happy. Suddenly, her big ears perk up. She lifts her head and turns to look my way. 
Hello, sweet one, I say to the doe through the glass. Hang in there. We'll get through this winter together. Um, I remember that day well. I was already um, feeling a bit melancholy because I was feeling so hemmed in by the snow and the, the dead of winter, and I happen to be somebody who really is affected by the lack of sunlight. I definitely suffer from seasonal affective disorder, and I've spoken about that before, and um, uh, bright light therapy has been amazingly, amazingly helpful. Amazingly. <laughs> amazingly helpful. Um, I use bright lights a lot, and it makes, um, it makes such a difference. Uh, I remember really beating myself up more than I probably even included in the journal for being so sensitive. Uh, there were times when, particularly when it comes to animals, uh, when it just can feel so, um, I don't know, it just can feel very uh, overwhelming and um, lonely to feel so sensitive. And I know that a lot of you understand what I'm talking about. Our sensitivity is our greatest gift. It's what allows us to be empathetic to others and to animals, to all beings. It's what inspires us to care about the planet and each other. It's what makes us recycle and um, help people who are in need, donate money, donate our time or services. Our sensitive nature helps us to really um, be perceptive and know when somebody might be in need without them even saying anything. And certainly, if you're a therapist or a coach or some kind of consultant or a healing professional, um, so many professions really uh, are really supported by a lot of emotional intelligence, which is uh, which includes things like a deep sense of empathy and a sensitivity for how we come across and how we interact with others. It's really easy, though, to feel alone with our sensitivity and to feel uh, judged when we live in a culture that doesn't really support that kind of sensitivity in the world. And when we look at the speed of technology and we look at the kind of news that we're confronted with every single day, who wants to stay open and awake and uh, conscious and available to the world when it can feel like there's so much pain, particularly when you feel deeply. So it's really important to protect your sensitivity and to do things that allow you to both be out in the world and protected and in safe places where you can be perceptive and empathetic and sensitive. And so doing things like making sure that you surround yourself with loving people who really accept and celebrate who you are is important. Uh, paying attention to the environments that you work in and that you live in so that the lights aren't harsh and bright or the smells aren't uncomfortable. Um, making sure that you have beauty. We talked about beauty last week as being a, a vital nutrient for the soul. But doing things that really support your sensitivity. Uh, even noticing, you know, like that day when I noticed I was really worried about the deer. That particular winter was a really, really harsh winter. And 
going out and shoveling some of the snow off of our backyard, while it might seem crazy to some people, it was a way of really saying to the sensitive part of me, I see you, I hear you, and I'm going to take action to support you. And once I did that, I felt so much better. I felt like I was doing something in the world to contribute to what it was that was bothering me. It's the same thing when I found the dead deer on the ice. When I stopped to really honor that being, that soul, and to just pray, just to take a few moments to pray for that soul, it felt like uh, there was something that I could do to respond to the sensitive part of me that felt so affected by the death of that animal. And I know that it's a part of life. And I know that the coyotes need to eat just like the deer need to eat and the birds need to eat. Um, it's just hard to see sometimes. Uh, making sure that we give ourselves sufficient, we balance a sufficient amount of time alone where we learn to self-soothe, to take good care of ourselves, to do things like read, read good books, read inspirational books, just to subject ourselves to um, the wisdom and the care of, of inspiration, whether it's online or in books or, you know, from others. Those are things that can really help us to self-soothe, taking care of our body. I know that I turn to exercise a lot if I'm feeling overly sensitive now. I get out and I move my body. It empowers me and it helps to metabolize the stress hormones that can kick in when we're dealing with sensitivity. Um, that alone time and that self-soothing time needs to be balanced also with an ability to reach out. You know, I've done that a lot more now since I've dealt with the loss of Poupon, my cat. There are times where I just feel, as a lot of you know when you're grieving, you just feel like you could cry at the drop of a hat. And I've learned to not be shy about letting people know that, you know, I have to carry Kleenex with me because I never know if I might cry or if I'm talking about him. I let people know, you know what, I might cry. For so many years growing up, I felt like, and as a young woman, I felt like it wasn't okay to cry. And today I really celebrate the tears. I see them as so healing. I also see, it's almost as though I imagine sometimes that there is a certain, there's like a bowl of tears inside that represent the loss, the losses we experience. So let's say, for example, the loss of my cat, Poupon. There is a bowl of tears within me that must be shed to fully grieve. And each time I cry, I imagine that I'm, I'm emptying a little bit more of that bowl, knowing that at some point, the bowl will be nearly empty. Not that I won't cry for the rest of my life off and on. I've, I've talked to just such sweet, empathetic, loving people about the loss of their animals and had somebody talk about the loss of an animal from 20 years ago and start crying. I mean, I just, I was so moved by that because I knew she understood exactly what I was going through. But I imagine that this bowl gets emptied slowly over time. So therefore, each time I feel called to cry about the loss, I allow myself to do it. I just, I say, you know what, this is what needs to be done. There's a lot to be said about supporting grief, supporting the grieving process. And, um, I have a lot to say about that, and I, I say a lot about it, and will continue to do that. But um, but getting on the phone and talking with somebody, or you know, having a glass of wine or a cup of tea or a cup of coffee with somebody who can really appreciate the things that you feel sensitive about. I know a lot of times I'll talk to my husband Michael 
um, when I'm feeling particularly sensitive, I'll, all, I, all I need to do is just share with him what's going on and I automatically feel better. I feel less like a pin cushion in a world full of pins. You know what I mean? So anyway, that story when I read it tonight, when I just sort of opened to it spontaneously and read it, reminded me today, even as I was sitting in with the windows all covered with snow and a pretty, pretty much whiteout conditions outside, it is a blizzard, and I was missing my little cat and seeing the birds come to the feeder all day long, tons of birds coming to the feeder, which is wonderful. Um, and I was feeling particularly sensitive. You know, I just went and talked to Michael for a little while and was reminded that sometimes we need the loving care of other people in order to not fall into what my friend Russ Hudson calls the emotional fondue, <laughs> where you just you just fall into this abyss of deep sadness or sensitivity or pain or grief and you start swimming around in it, which isn't good. Instead, you have to just remember that it's a weather pattern that's going to pass. And, um, and sometimes it passes more quickly when we share it with others. So anyway, I just wanted to start our Facebook Live with a little bit of a conversation about sensitivity because it's something that I so support and believe in and want to encourage you to own and honor and protect. And um, with that, I'm going to just come back to your comments here and see, um, yeah, it's also important to surround yourself with people who understand your sensitivity to animals. I have certainly, um, certainly found that to be true, especially as I talk about the loss of Poupon. Um, yeah, Betsy says, I always call the local animal control when I see a dead animal. I do too. I think that's really um, a good idea. Um, and I do that as well. I think whenever you can do that, that's really important. So anyway, let's um, let's see. Thank you all for your hearts and your um, uh, your comments here. Let's see um, if there are any questions that you have that I might support you with. Um, let's. Uh, so yeah, you can put, if you want, you can put a cue with your question. Yes, animals are so pure of heart. That's why, um, that's why it's so hard to lose our animals. You know, they really are filled with unconditional love and they, um, they're with us all the time, you know, when we have them in our homes. And it's like I always say, animals are, um, pretty much for me, a constant source of joy. I mean, who do you have in your life that always brings you joy on a daily basis? Ooh, like there's no human beings that do that, really. Um, animals always do it. Never a day would go by that I didn't feel just happy and um, a sense of joy at um, seeing Poupon and playing with him. So, so yeah, let's see. Any, um, any questions, anything I can support you with before we wrap up for today? Um, I'm just going back to look at questions. Uh, yeah, how do how do I rationalize cru cruelty to animals? You don't. Um, I don't know how anybody could rationalize that. Uh, there is cruelty in the world, you know. Unfortunately, um, uh, we live in a world of duality where there's great love and great light and uh, great beauty and kindness 
and extraordinary, um, just extraordinary goodness in the world. And then we also live in a world that's really, really dark and bleak. You know, that's the duality of here on planet Earth. We've got the light and the dark, the good and the bad, the beautiful and the ugly. And um, I do my best to do what I can, which is um, I just want to support the health of animals the best way that I can instead of um, instead of focusing on the cruelty. And sometimes it means signing petitions and doing what I can to help end the end cruelty to animals for sure. Um, but I also want to focus on supporting our local shelters, um, things like that. Okay, let's see. What else do we have here? Um, yeah, Kath says, I love this conversation. Thank you for sharing this with us. I've struggled with this myself at times. I'm learning to embrace every aspect of myself now, finally embracing the freedom to just be. You're right. Having loved ones around that supports us is so important. It really is. Um, how do you cope with relatives? Rachel says, how do you cope with relatives when you do not get good vibes from them? Well, um, if you can't have a conversation and you can't support them, I don't know what the, the bad vibes are about. But I would say that any time we spend time consistently with people that leave us feeling, um, just feeling bad about ourselves or feeling drained of energy, um, we have to really limit the amount of time that we spend with them. That's one of the ways I protect my sensitivity is I'm very conscious of the energy around me. I'm also conscious of my own energy. For example, sometimes if I'm teaching or I'm speaking, I pay close attention to where my energy is at. And if I notice that I start to lose energy, I know it's going to be time for me to wrap up or take a break or, excuse me, leave a situation if I'm, let's say, out to dinner or whatever. Um, because I know I'm not going to be the best person to be around if suddenly I'm feeling um, I'm feeling like I'm losing energy. So I pay attention to both my energy and the energy of others. I don't think just because someone shares blood with you means you have to spend a lot of time with them if they suck your energy or are, let's say, chronically complaining or negative. You can attempt to change the conversation. You can offer support. But if none of that changes, then eventually you have to take care of yourself. And that usually means doing things like, um, you know, begging off and um, taking time away from those people or really limited the amount of time that you spend. Nobody has the right to suck your energy, whether they're relatives or not. It's not a good thing. Um, Lorraine says, how do you speak to someone about your grief knowing that they're hurting as well? It's a good question, Lorraine, because sometimes, like I'm very sensitive to the fact that when my cat was alive, it was hard for me to talk to people who were losing their animals. So I had to be very mindful of how I did that because I was so afraid of losing my own. It would be very different now. Um, so sometimes as I'm grieving the loss of my furry family member, I'm very conscious of the fact that there are some people in my life that might be sensitive about that, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. If I know that someone's grieving, sometimes I might enjoy, I might invite a conversation about what our grief is like. You know, give each one of you a chance to talk about what your grief experience is like. That said, I also think it might be best to get support more so from people who aren't grieving so that you're not distracted by 
their grief as well as you're being sensitive to the fact that they just may not have any energy. Grieving is exhausting. It physically affects the body and it energetically affects the body and emotionally it's really tiresome. And so that's why we need to practice good self-care. We need to give ourselves space. Um, we need to be able to bow out of commitments if we're just not feeling up to it. And we need to manage our energy. Like I said, you know, pay attention when, um, when you notice that you're losing energy in certain situations, you may need to just excuse yourself. So, um, I would limit the amount of time that, um, um, I would limit the amount of time that I uh, spend talking about my grief with somebody who's actively grieving, unless they want to talk about it as well. Mary says, my kitty Greta is dying of cancer, and I just want to know, want to know that I won't keep her on this earth longer than she can bear. I don't want her to suffer. I understand this, Mary. Um, we discovered that Poupon was sick out of the blue, um, that he had cancer, and he started to decline. He wasn't eating suddenly, and this cat always ate ravenously. I knew that, and this is different for everybody. The question is always, when do you know? When is it time to put an animal to rest or to put an animal at peace? For me, I knew I did not want him to suffer. I knew that Poupon was the kind of cat. He hated going to the vets. He did not. He was kind of skittish. He was a feral cat, so he was really frightened. I did not want to put him through the stress of more tests than than he already had to find out what was going on. Um, and I knew that the moment it felt like he was retreating in a significant way and that he may be on the verge of suffering, it was going to be time to let him go. And um, he wasn't eating, so that was a problem. And he was retreating. He didn't want to come near us. He wanted to be away from us. He didn't want to be picked up. And um, I pretty much knew uh, I knew before Michael, and then I had to include Michael in the process, of course, because there are other family members involved. I let him take the time he needed to come to the decision. We both agreed that we loved this little being enough that we wouldn't keep him here longer than was necessary so that he wouldn't suffer. And um, my dear friend Robin, who is like Poupon's godmother, said, if an animal could sign a do not resuscitate, this cat would have signed it. <laughs> And when she said that to me, it just, she was right. I knew that my animal, you know, that this cat would have said, I want out sooner rather than later. I just knew my animal. I knew this being, this little soulmate. So I knew when it was time. And I brought a vet to the house, a really lovely, beautiful woman who came to the house and um, explained to me exactly the process. And I spent plenty of time with Poupon and... Um, and was able to give him a sedative before she got there so he wouldn't be frightened. And I learned something so valuable, which is when you cover an animal's head, they calm down. Um, I know it's true for wild animals, it's true for our pets as well, and I just held him in my arms with his head covered, and he calmed right down. And the process was incredibly peaceful. One very simple shot, and within 30 seconds he was gone. So it was a um, it was a very peaceful process and um, wasn't easy, but it was peaceful, and um, and I know that I did the right thing, and I can revisit the experience. Um, I do that very very briefly because it just causes a lot of pain, but I knew it was the right time. 
and I knew that my that loving a being enough to let them go is a true act of love and compassion. That's what I felt for me. So I hope that's helpful, Mary, in some way. Um, anyway, okay. Oh, Kristen wants to know, what signs have you seen from Poupon? Well, Kristen, I'll tell you. So it's so interesting. There's a little bed that I have in my office that Poupon used to always lay in. It's in the window, and it's still there. I haven't, um, I haven't removed it. It's a really important part of our life together. I've had... Um, Two dream, three dreams. The first dream I had of Poupon was really quite amazing. Um, the morning after he died, he came to me in a dream as a teenager, full of life. And he was with my dear friend Chris's cat that had passed a couple of years earlier. And um, I was shocked to see him. And I must have yelled out in my dream. And poor Michael thought that I was crying and he woke me up. And when he woke, I could feel him waking me up, and I kept saying, no, 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 which of course made him think I was really in pain. So he woke me up just as I was about to talk to Poupon, and I was so upset about it. But I knew, he felt so bad that I just, I, I, I just, I said to him, look, I saw him, he was healthy, I felt the connection. Because in the dream, I said to him, I said to myself, oh, sweetheart, you're just seeing your cat because you've lost him and you think it's Poupon. And he looked at me like, no, this is really me. And I knew it was him, like dreams tell you, right? That same night, I went back to sleep. And that morning, I, uh, that morning I was sound asleep and Poupon came back to me. But this time, he was all white. And he crawled up my body to my shoulder. And I could see his face. I knew it was him, but he had all white fur. And he started to knead my shoulder and then curled up in a ball, which he used to always do, which I loved so much and I missed so much. So in the dream, he looked at me and he and I had this, this incredible loving feeling. And as I woke up from the dream, the message in my head was, the body goes, but the love never dies. And I just, I just, you know, I mean, my God, what a dream that was, what a gift it was. Now, it's wonderful to have those signs when a loved one dies. I've had dreams of my dad. My dad has come to visit, and they feel great, but it doesn't mean that the grief doesn't stop, and within a few days, I was desperate for signs again. Just yesterday, so in Poupon's bed, I've looked in his bed, and I've found some whiskers that he had, and I've kept them. I have a little, a little jar right here on my desk. Look at this pretty little antique jar. And in this little antique jar, I have... A treat or two that I found of his. I have um, whiskers and a little tuft of fur that I found. It's just a comforting thing to do. It makes me feel like I have a piece of him when he was here with me. And it helps me through the grieving process. Now, I've combed his bed, and I didn't think there was anything there. Well, Michael came in on Sunday. He had a meeting in my office. And um, he walked over before his reading started, he walked over to the bed and looked down, and there was a whisker, a long white and black whisker sitting right there. On Now, I have looked everywhere, but it was right there, and it was a sign for Michael, and I was so, so happy for him, and um, he left it here. I just found it earlier. Um, I said to him, are you sure it was a whisker? He said, yes, I'm sure it was a whisker, and it was. So there's been signs like that. Sometimes I'll find pieces of his nails when I'm cleaning, and um, that always makes me feel like he's around. And um, 
and I've had a couple of other dreams that have helped me to let go of things like his litter box. I wrote a blog about that and I had another dream recently that allowed us to go through his room and get rid of, um, to give away, to donate some of the cat things, the toys and things that we had of his. But there's other things that I'm holding on to, like his bed, and I'll know when the time is right. I have no no doubt about that. Okay. Um, yes, I do not believe crying is a weakness. I actually believe crying is a sign of strength, and it's the way that our soul speaks to us. Lori says, so I'm in transition where I'm a widow from 43 years, and in my three years I noticed my friends have gone also in my new me. Is it sometimes patience when co I'm so sorry, I can't understand this. Is still doing? Lori, if you could write your question again, I can't understand it, sweetheart. Um, Michelle says, how do you deal with people who don't understand your compassion for animals? Um, I guess you just accept them, but maybe you don't <laughs> spend as much time around them or you don't talk to them about animals. You know, I wonder, Michelle, if that means that there's somebody in your life who actually might judge you for um, being too sensitive around animals. Might that be it? Um, if that's the case, you might just need to ask them to respect your sensitivity around animals. Nothing wrong with that. Um, I don't have a lot of people in my life who don't understand my compassion for animals. Um, most of them do, because most of them share that compassion with me, and I, I'm really grateful for that. Um, yeah, let's see. Um, uh, timely question. My siblings and I are estranged, and they make me feel bad about myself. To protect myself, I talk with them very little. Some might think that that's sad, but I feel healthier. I think that's smart. I actually call that good self-care. And a lot of times we feel bad about, you know, where... Um, afraid of being judged for our need to protect ourselves. But in the end, you're the only one in charge of your life and you're the only one that is gonna protect yourself. And sometimes the most loving thing we could do, I know that there are some people in my life that I bug, <laughs> that I drive crazy with my sensitivity. So sometimes I do them a favor by um, picking and choosing when we spend time together. How's that for, for a different perspective? Um, so let's see. Um, Um, Francesca says, don't you think when you have a relative that has negative vibes, they, um, they are most in need of love? Yes, I do. But not everybody can receive love. Not everybody's able to do that. So, um, because of that, um, sometimes we have to set boundaries in order to really protect ourselves. So, um, I think it can go both ways. That's what I think. Um, Let's see. Okay. I'm just going to look for a couple more and then I'm going to I'm going to get back to my storm here and uh hope that yeah, hope that we don't lose power. Let's see. Um so most people are just saying thank you for sharing. Yeah, you're welcome everybody. You're very welcome. Um and um sometimes I think, you know, I think it is good to talk about things like, you know, when it, when you have to let a pet go, when you um, need to put a pet to rest, or, you know, we don't talk about death and endings and loss enough, and we really need to support each other in that way. So um, 
And I know it was certainly helpful to me to talk to people who had had to put an animal to rest before we did it, so I was prepared, so I knew what to expect. And, um, and it really made a difference for both Michael and I. And I know it made a difference for the vet who was involved too. She felt like um, she felt like we were really prepared, and she could be be there with us in a really great way. So, anyway, I'm going to end it there. Um, just remember to protect your sensitivity, really honor it. It's the best part of you. It's the best part of all of us. And um, allow yourself to grieve. Tears are good. <laughs> nothing wrong with them, and surround yourself with good people who see you and can hear you and can be with your empathetic, sensitive side. And, um, and recognize, yes, that when people can't be, it's not that they're bad people, it's usually that they're frightened or, you know, grief is kind of scary for some people. And sometimes they can't be around that and sensitivity can be uncomfortable. Some people are so walled off from their sensitivity that, um, your sensitivity mirrors what they can't experience very easily. So compassion is always a good choice. Being loving with people is always a good idea. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being with me again this week. I so appreciate it. Um, please remember, I think we have like just a few spots left in the self-care by the sea retreat in May. Um, it's almost full. So if you're thinking of coming, you want to sign up sooner rather than later. I'll put a link in the post when we're done here. In the meantime, have a really wonderful week, and I will look forward to being with you next week. All right? Thanks, everybody. Bye.